you believe change is needed within the education system to ensure the well-being of teachers and young people is at its very heart, then join the Well School movement today. We are united, the biggest stakeholders in the education system. We can wait for change or we can be the change. If not now, then when? And if not you, then who? Sign up to the Well School movement at www.well-schools.org. Our community is here to help you on your journey. All our young people need you. Join us today. Welcome to episode one of the Well Schools podcast. We're your hosts, Anthony and Kay. We hope you enjoy the show. I'm really looking forward to this episode this week. I know that we've got a fantastic guest on, Rebecca Leake, and I'm looking forward to hearing more um, about what she's been doing in, in within her teaching alliance and education trust. But I think for the first episode, it'd be good to know and understand a bit more about why Well Schools exists, where it's come from, where it's been and potentially where it's going. Um, and I know that you were instrumental in the, the shaping of the the concept and the growing of the movements. So it's able to share with people why Well Schools exists. Love to. It's my favourite topic to talk about. Um, I guess the why of Well Schools is multifaceted. There's so many whys. I often think it's more why not rather than why um, when we're talking about Well Schools. But where did it come from? It's definitely something I've been very heavily involved in but is definitely not something I've driven alone. It's been a real team effort. And that team is made up of people within education. That's been so important to us from the start. A lot of our conversations were, we know things need to change within our education system for the benefit of all young people and their well-being. But how? Um, so it started off, I guess, formally as a concept, an idea where we came together at the Booper Foundation offices in London to talk about the state of well-being of young people within our education system and knowing that we needed to do something different. A lot of the things that were happening were kind of added things within education. There were things happening, but they were seen as in additionality to what was going on within education. And we knew that if we were going to make actual change, the well-being of pupils needed to be the role of education. Young people needed to learn through their educational experience how to manage their physical, social and emotional well-being. It was as important to the learning process as time in the classroom. But we knew that there were lots of people that believed that, but that wasn't a reality in a lot of schools, but it was in some. So what we did is we went and found schools that we believe shared that ideology that they placed well-being at the heart of their school and saw the benefit of prioritising people well-being in order to not only help deliver academic success, but also to produce well-rounded young people that were prepared not only with knowledge, but were um, equipped with the skills and experiences they need and had a toolkit that allowed them to be prepared physically and mentally to go out and be not just part of society, but thriving contributors to our society in the future. So that's where it started in a meeting in London where we came together with schools, head teachers, 
multi-academy trusts alongside other organizations that were doing fantastic work in this space. Instead of all trying to make a change and make a difference, World Schools was there to unite people, to bring us together for a common cause, to say this was too big for any one teacher, any one head teacher, any one partner to make a real difference, but we really needed to make a difference. And this was all pre-COVID. We hadn't even heard of the term of COVID or COVID wasn't a reality when we started out on this journey. So therefore, that's where well-being at the heart of education came from. And it was never designed to be a tokenistic statement. And we've spent the last two years really trying to move the, the statement of well-being at the heart of education from something we could say, oh, yes, we agree with it, to what does that actually mean and how can that really drive change? And, I mean, it's, it's, it's definitely somewhere where we feel education is going and we know that, as you mentioned then, COVID has really heightened and accelerated the need for, for young people's well-being to be at the heart of education. But this is not, well, schools is not necessarily a, a product or a program or a, an intervention it's 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 more of a framework and a and a culture and an ethos and i know that the it, it's built on pillars almost three pillars if you like one being about around being well led looking at the sort of the the management and the governance and the structures of, of school and their culture looking at how preparing young people for for life within and outside of school and how we're equipping them as well to make sure that they can they can thrive within education and thrive within life as well. Can you just tell us a bit more about what those pillars look like? Yeah, definitely. I think the first important thing to say before I got onto the pillars is reiterating, coming back to your point, that this um, well school movement isn't the full answer. It's not the answer. So when you talk about it, it's definitely not a programme. It's definitely not. And I think that's what a lot of people were asking when we first started out. Will there be a quality mark? You know, can we make an application to become a well school? And that was never our intention. Our intention was, how can we unite? How can we come together to share the challenges, to set a vision for what's possible? So many head teachers talk to us about, I know that action needs to happen to improve the well-being of my students. And, and I'll come on to teachers in a minute as well, because that kind of came up through our journey. But it felt like a leap of faith. It felt a about a decision against the system, that the system was so focused on academic outcomes that it felt like you were taking a leap of faith or you were taking a real risk in order to have more focus on well-being, which created a system that was so fascinated with the academic outcomes of young people, we'd stopped thinking about the process in which we can best achieve that academic outcome. I'm not talking every school, there are amazing examples, I'm just talking more about how schools felt the system was directing them so we definitely always set this out to not give the answers but to say if we know why we want to change along the way we'll work out the how and that's where we have created a framework for well schools to bring some of that how to life because we had all of these founding schools doing amazing work and we also had other schools saying where on earth do we start like what's step one um and there is no right answer to that there's no one step one for every um every school but we hoped that by trying to look at what were the common and consistent things at schools that were making real progress for their students and their teachers what were they doing and how could we see this as a shift from okay people well-being let's add a session on let's run a program we're trying to change that that culture that ethos that's not what well-being is 
to improve someone's well-being, you have to think about all the facets that are in an environment, not an after school club for this or a notice board. They are not the things that, that create this change. So we created the three pillars. Pillar one is well led. We didn't ever set out on a journey to have teacher well-being as part of well schools, but it became very evident that unless we did, we would make no progress. Why? Because it's the old saying of you've got to put your oxygen, own oxygen mask on first. Teacher well-being is in such a critical position. We have teachers leaving the profession, excellent, passionate teachers that feel that they have no choice but to leave a profession that they came into through a passion and a calling because no longer could they live a life that they were um, able to flourish. Their work-life balance, their own well-being was too much to give to be able to teach. We need to make some seismic change for that to happen. And also, how could we ask those teachers if that's how they were feeling to create an environment in school that prioritised young people's well-being if they weren't themselves in a place for their own well-being? So it became abundantly clear that unless we tackled well-led and teacher well-being head on, and that includes all well-being actually I just used the word teacher there but what I was really meaning is everyone involved in that education system unless we start to raise awareness of teacher well-being and understand what causes the problem so running yoga is not the answer running an after-school yoga is not the answer it's listening to teachers what are the things that are having a negative impact on your well-being and making changes to make those things better if the thing that's causing teachers to have negative well-being is, for example, the pressure of marking, then you have to do something about your marking policy. You have to do something about your school's approach to marking to make a difference on well-being. You put on a yoga session, you're just adding extra things into the pressure. I won't feel any benefit from yoga if I know after yoga I've got six hours of marking that is going to cause me um, to have a real impact on my own well-being. So we knew teacher well-being had to be a priority. The other two pillars that we have are well prepared and well equipped and there are more student faced um, pillars. But again, the pillars are just a way of thinking. We're not envisaging schools to all say, well, this is our well prepared, well equipped. It's we'll be called different things and look different things. The concept here is that we can't slow the world down or make the world any easier for young people, but we can give them a toolkit of things that will help them be prepared for the challenges they will face, both within their education, but also as they go out into the world as well. So well-prepared is all about how do we ensure young people are physically prepared? How do we make sure they understand how to look after their body and how to keep themselves physically healthy? And then how do we ensure they're mentally prepared? How do we ensure they understand the way they feel, they understand their own personal triggers and that they understand how they can regulate that, that we have a accepted language and terminology that young people can use so that they can manage and understand the way that they feel so that their emotional well-being is um, something that they know how to um, tackle and to be prepared to help them through every challenge that they'll face in life. The equipped is all about really understanding what a young person leaving the education system and within education, what skills and experiences will they need for their future. The world is changing at breakneck speed. I definitely know when I left education, we were just they were just seeing the introduction of mobile phones. My first roles, we were still sending memo like the world of work and the workplace is changing at uh, such a fast pace. 
that we have to prepare young people for a future we can't yet even imagine. What will the jobs of the future be for young people? And how do we equip them with the life skills, the human skills that we know will always transcend any change? Advances in technology and um, artificial intelligence will change the jobs that human beings have in the future. But what will never happen is we'll never lose what makes us uniquely human. Things like empathy, our ability to problem solve, they're things that will always be needed and will be the things that make us uniquely human and in the future will become more and more valuable and will be the things that young people need in order to succeed. So well schools really puts an importance on ensuring that young people have those life skills and the experiences that they would need to go out into the world fully equipped to not only enter the workplace but to thrive in the world. I think that's where in terms of the sort of the, the, the ethos of well schools and, and the pillars and you know I, I, I do love that quote is you've got to put your own oxygen mask on first and I think that yeah. people in education are sort of guilty of not not thinking that way because all we think about is how do I make this young person's like better? How can I support them? How can I help them? How can I how can I push them on and, and let them achieve their own potential? Um, so I think it's fantastic that there's a there is a framework there, and I think it again it's not a one size fits all. It's not every school has to do this or think this way or feel that way. Every school is going to be different. Every school is going to have their own their own way of doing things. But I think if you can if you can filter it down and put all the great stuff that you do in school or all the great work that goes on, if you can put them into almost those columns and get those foundations right, then I think it gives a, a lot of schools a, a good starting point to become a, a well school. Yeah, yeah. And, and it, it's definitely how do we be proactive rather than reactive? How do we ensure that um, there's amazing stuff going on in, in schools? This is some amazing work, but how are we ensuring we never get to the point where intervention is required or... Um, that's not our only strategy. What's the prevention rather than cure in terms of young people's well-being? So the, the Welsh schools movement is starting to gather pace now. Uh, more and more schools are starting to be attracted to the movements and are starting to connect with the movements. What do you think are the main things that schools could gain from being part of the movement? For me... And from all the conversations I've had with people in education, it's that we can sit and wait for change to happen. So I don't very often meet any educators that don't feel that they can see in front of them that young people's well-being is declining. And we've often heard, you know, the statements of we need to create change. We need to change the Ofsted. Ofsted need to change their approach or the Department of Education need to legislate. The primary purpose of well schools is to say we don't need to wait to be told. We can work together to be that change. We are the biggest stakeholders in the education system because we are the education system. We are the people that are in front of young people. And if the, the things we're being asked to do or the approach we're taking or our strategy is causing us to want to leave teaching or causing us to have a negative impact on the well-being of the young people in front of us, then we need to gather together to have a united voice that says there's a different way. There is a different way that allows young people to be well and academically achieve. It is possible. Other countries do it. Other schools manage to achieve it. It's possible. And 
we can be the voice of positivity. We never came into world schools either to be throwing stones or negative about what other people do or other people's approaches. But just to say, if we think something's right, we can't wait for somebody else to tell us the right thing to do. If we think something's right, we can galvanize together and we can make that, we can share what that right looks like. And if other people don't have the confidence, then through the Well School movement, we want to give them that confidence. We want to say, take the leap, because a lot of schools say it feels like a leap of faith, and we will be there to catch you. We will show you what other schools have done and the difference it's made. We'll connect and collaborate. So I guess twofold. One is saying if we want to create change, well schools will bring us together to talk about the change we want to see and start to make that change possible rather than waiting for somebody else to tell us to be that change. And secondly, it provides that support infrastructure. It allows other people to share and collaborate. We bring people together through networking events. People can go and share on the platform. The job is big and it's it's not quick. There's no easy wins here. It's not a one day we've got an issue, the next day it's solved. So how do we keep people going, keep energy? And we do that by connecting, collaborating and sharing. And that's always been our mantra. How do we commit to something? I want to be a well school because I believe there's a better way to educate our young people that will allow them to thrive academically and um, within their own well-being and that we can connect and collaborate in order to do that so that we can share the very best ways, the things that have made a difference to make that journey and that path a little bit easier. Sounds amazing. And this, this just sounds like the future of education. And I know that our guest coming up, Rebecca, I know that's, that's, that's a big thing in, in, in her world and, and how she sees education. So thanks for that, Kay. And hopefully for the listeners, that gives a bit of a, an overview of, of why Welsh schools exist, where it came from. And you can tell it's not just a, an education strategy, but it's a real movement for change and it's a real systemic movement. Um, so... Without further ado, let's jump into the interview between yourself and Rebecca Lee. Hope you enjoy. My guest today is Rebecca Leek, CEO of South Essex Alliance, which is an education trust. Rebecca has a really interesting work history from musician, Latin teacher, to work in social enterprise as a teacher and now as a senior leader in school. Rebecca also lives on an organic fruit farm and accredits much of her leadership philosophy to her learning from farming. Rebecca, welcome to the Well School podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today and adding your voice and inspiration to our growing movement of Well Schools. Thank you so much for having me. It's so lovely uh, to be here. It's so it's such a beautiful day as well, isn't it, in October? So so it feels really good to be having this conversation now. Yeah, lovely. Um, so, Rebecca, from your sunny organic fruit farm, I gave a little bit of a potted history then of your career, which I don't think is necessarily a traditional path for most senior leaders in schools. Could you just give us a little bit of background into um, what you've done in terms of your career and what you're up to now? Yeah, I, I think I'm only now getting an understanding of maybe why I've had um, such a varied career path um, <clears throat> in that uh, I, I do like 
doing lots of different things. I think it suits my brain. Um, and so I, looking back retrospectively, it's kind of not surprising that I've ended up doing different things. Um, also, I'm a woman and uh, we do things, some women like have babies and we go on maternity leave and then some of us get bored uh, <laughs> and start setting up silly businesses, although then <laughs> they start being a bit successful. So so there's kind of things uh, about me that, that then explain maybe why I've had a bit of variety. Um, I'm really lucky in that um, I seem to be quite a good musician when I was a, a growing up. So I ended up going to music sense. school um, and but then I decided to do a kind of degree. But then I've had music as a kind of sidearm um, and, um, you know, and then I, I, I got jobs in schools, but then I also got part time jobs so then I could do other things and did it went back to music and did a master's. Um, and, you know, I, I, I am a creative but I'm also what always ends up happening is I tend to also do the organizing and the strategy as well. Um, and then I seem to be running lots of projects and things just things just emerge as, the, as they go along. Um, and I'm a, I'm a bit of a um, I'm a bit of a voyager. I think I, I'm not really scared of change. I just naturally um, am kind of happy to lean into something that comes up and, and take take a different course, slightly different course. So so that's why I've, I've kind of meandered through. Uh, different things and, and doing a few different things at the same time as well which which seems to keep me happy so yeah amazing well that sounds like it gives a really rich and diverse amount of experiences and opportunities that really pull into all of your skill sets so I'm really excited to learn a little bit more about what you've learned from that rich journey but um, do you want to tell us a little bit I'm aware you've recently changed jobs um so do you want to tell us a little bit about what you're up to these days yeah, so um, I've recently stepped into the um, very grandly titled chief exec role um, of an education trust in in South Essex, um, having worked for uh, previously worked for a trust of um, schools in Suffolk, uh, uh, of more more schools there. Whilst I was also um, actually an executive head teacher, um, so now I, I'm I seem to be the boss uh, <laughs> of, of an organisation. Um, and it's three schools and I'm told I shouldn't say that that's small um, but it is you know relatively speaking it's a small trust yes. of three uh, beautiful primary schools all primary schools are beautiful in their own way um, and and um, yeah and, and I'm kind of getting to grips with that so I started really properly in September so it's very early days um, and, I, and you know I, I'm at that lovely stage of, of trying to do things and having to decide what I do first let things go leave things which I might talk about in a minute because because I think that's part of the art of surviving as well is, yeah. is letting things go and then coming back to them uh, so yeah I've been doing that uh, for two months so there we are excellent well congratulations on the new role and we wish you all the very best of luck with it um, so I just wanted to start talking a little bit about some of the things over at well schools that we are really passionate about and I've heard you talk before about culture and I just wanted to touch on that because at well schools culture is one of our overarching principles it's the thing that we believe you can make any other difference if you get your culture not right um, then nothing else you do everything becomes tokenistic or a sticking plaster so for us we really believe that um, we're driving for a culture that really puts well-being at the heart of education and that's well-being not being something that's in a day it's not an assembly or something you tag on to PSHE or um, it's, it's not a moment in time. It's in every classroom, every corridor, every sports hall, every staff room. And you have to believe it 
in it and it has to be your guiding principle. And um, it'd be really interesting to hear because I know a lot of head teachers that follow the well school movement are really working hard to try and look at the culture within their school. And I've heard you talk before about that culture. And as a as a leader within a school, but now also across a whole trust of schools, how do you believe you create that culture? And how is it that you get other people to buy into the culture that you are creating? So it might be because my brain is chaotic. Um, it is. Um, but one of the things that I think works really well, and I must practice because otherwise it would be chaos, um, is is choosing a few things. Um, and, you know, if you if you Google values, for example, um, yeah. uh, and you look up a list of values and, you, you know, you could have 27 values for an organisation and they're all probably really good, mm -hmm. you know, like excellence and empowerment and all those kinds of words. Yeah. But if you have too many, um, then you don't then it's just chaos and nobody can really follow a thread. Yeah. Uh, and so very practically speaking, if you are in a position of taking on, you know, a school or a trust, um, I would really recommend simplicity always it's a it's a, yeah. it's a key word in I'm a Quaker and, and we talk about simplicity a lot in Quakerism and but also in terms of how many things people can hold in in their brain at any one time mm. so I would I would think really carefully about a few threads or a few hooks and come back to them and then you can grow from that uh, you know so um so for example um, you know, stepping into a new trust now, one of the key things was to make sure I had a few key words that I would come back to and build upon. And it doesn't mean I could have chosen a different one, actually. You know, there could have been some slightly different ones. And, and we played around with ecocentric versus ecological um, and thinking really carefully about, uh, A, is that a, a thread that I want to run through? And is it going to be well understood? And is it really the right word? And I do love an ecocentric approach. Approach I like. I like e that that concept. But it's not. It's just that wasn't going to work really. Whereas ecological um, to have an ecological approach works better. And now now that I've settled on that, and it was done. You know, the little. I mean, I'm only two months in, so I can't pretend there was a great consultation process over this. But you know, it's kind of feeling your way and saying, well, we're going to take an ecological approach, and uh, and that word works really well um, because there's some education theory. There's the Bronfenbrenner's um, ecological um, education theory in itself. And then there's the environmental side of, of thinking about ecological approaches. And so then you've got a word and a concept that you can then keep coming back to in your communication, in your talking, in your images, etc, etc. Um, and so, you know, from a really practical perspective, uh, to build a culture, choose some things really carefully and build upon those rather than starting with chaos because it, then nobody knows what you stand for one additional question i was just going to ask you on the back of that rebecca is as someone that has lots of ideas you've kind of described that to me someone with lots of creative ideas bubbling out um, how do you get other people involved in that culture so how do you ensure it's not your culture imposed on the school but truly a community of people with a shared culture what would be your tips for that um i think one of the things is um, communication. So, you know, you need to be able to explain why uh, and 
and and explain it you know positively the rationale behind it and how it how it genuinely might manifest itself say in your organization in your school and what the benefits are um you know saying things it sounds ridiculous but um you know if you don't actually say it out loud or write it then people don't know um and 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 people pe people often assume that 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 uh that they've they've communicated their message because they've said it once and therefore the work is done mm -hmm. and so it's spending some some real care on yeah. on communicating it um and then there's also i think modeling it and taking advantage of little moments and always being aware of that so one example that happened recently um, uh, is that I wanted a filing cabinet for our new office mm -hmm. and uh, and I mean this is not ecological this is also about a holistic approach whereby yeah. you know everything everyone and everything matters is what uh, one of my little kind of mottos and and I and I sent a link to um, somebody who works with me who's fantastic if she's listening to this you know thank you for ordering the filing cabinet mm -hmm. however it was like a, a really interesting moment where I sent a link uh, uh to, for, for a filing cabinet and it was it was a dark blue filing cabinet because the colors for the trust are dark blue and it was a, quite a nice filing cabinet uh I mean don't worry taxpayers you know I'm not buying super <laughs> designer filing cabinets but it wasn't kind of the bottom end basic gray miserable looking filing cabinet uh, and so I emailed her and and then she got one ordered and it was delivered down into my office uh, and it was the cheapest, greyest filing cabinet because in her mind, the bottom line is money and time as well, which is another really interesting one. It's about permaculture, it's really interesting principles in permaculture about just bide your time a little bit. Like we're all very urgent and we must improve very rapidly, which is what Ofsted yeah. says. But actually, you know, there's a there's a there's a value in biding your time. And so and so she got my email and gone, oh, I must immediately deliver this for Rebecca, uh, this this task. I will order the cheapest filing cabinet and it will be there tomorrow. Um, and because for her, the most important things are doing things immediately and doing things with with uh, spending as little money as possible. And and whereas my approach is, you know, take a little bit of time sleep on it i'm not talking wait till next month but you know maybe get back to me or check in with me about the filing cabinet uh because there's time i don't need it tomorrow you know it's right it's right to get it right and also the cheapest one will not bring necessarily the greatest riches actually yeah. uh mm -hmm. and false economies and all those kinds of things so so that's a kind of example of me using that that moment and going well this is what holistics is about <laughs> yeah. the filing cabinet there, there's something to be said there about well you know it is really important that our office spaces are well designed that have good equipment in that we think about well actually which filing cabinet and why uh, yeah. because everything matters uh, and so it's kind of uh, using moments and uh, and and being owning them and being able to to explain what how we might do it differently uh, and building a culture around that is an example I suppose yeah I think there's there's something really in that, and it's it's about that building that culture is so more than what you see on the simplistic, you know, thinking about the filing cabinet being you would it wouldn't be a natural association. You'd think right, how do we make sure the people in front of the young people follow the culture? But actually, what you're looking at there is make sure every every aspect. And I think we could all take a little bit from a little bit less haste um, and stopping to really reflect. So thank you for sharing that with us. Uh, now I'm just going to move on to well-equipped, which is another um, key pillar of 
well schools. Well equipped is all around ensuring that young people truly have the skills and experiences they need for life and a real focus on what are those things that make the young people coming through our schools truly human what are the things that in their future and in their lifetime in a future we probably can't even really imagine what jobs will look like what communities will feel like in the future how are we as educators preparing them young people for that future so coming into your new role when young people leave South Essex what do you hope is the greatest lesson they have learned that will equip them for the world that they will be going into well, that's a that's a big question. Isn't it? <laughs> Sorry. No, it's good. It's good. I I would really hope that um, that they would leave because they'll be leaving when they're eleven, not when they're eighteen, because they're primary schools. Yeah. Um, I would hope that they leave knowing that they have value, and that everyone else in their school also has value. Yeah. So they've experienced some things whereby. Uh, they've seen their peers who are different to them uh, able to achieve and be celebrated and have moments of success that are different to their moments of achievement and success and that they can take that and go gosh humans are all different and we all have a value and I have a value and I've seen that and experienced it through the experiences that I've had um, and also my the people in my class who look different to me, who sound different to me, who think differently to me, they have also witnessed how much they are valued and can contribute. Um, because, uh, you know, I say, this, this, I'm not the only one that says this, but, you know, the survival of the human race, the survival of anything in nature is down to diversity. And if we could only all just get that uh, and, and know it better, then we would all do really well. One of the values that we're landing on um, at, the, at the trust, and as I say, it's early days, is accomplishment. Um, I, I'm, I'm a bit wary about excellence and achievement just because it sounds a bit off steady. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's just to me, it's linked a little bit to SATS results and that kind of thing, which is to me too narrow. Whereas the sense of accomplishment one gets from having kind of persevered through something and really having produced something and that will be varied things because we're all different at producing different things yeah. and, and, and kind of being able to step back and go, oh, I did that. I actually really did that. And I did. I mean, one of the things in our trust, which is historical, it's not me, is the um, rights of the child. Um, and, and one of, you know, a, a, if you really embody that, it's about providing experiences. It's just started raining. So if, if there's rain in the background, mm -hmm. then it's all getting very exciting. Um, but, but one of the things about the rights of the child is really letting them have a voice and make some decisions about what they're learning and what they're doing yeah. um, and, and have a kind of tangible outcome and feel like they're useful and have done something. Um, and so... I would hope that they would leave at the age of 11, knowing that they are of value, that they can do stuff. Um, yeah. Uh, 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 yeah. And that they have worth, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. One of the sentences I always come back to that really resonated with me is young people leaving, knowing not how clever they how clever they are, as in what exam results or SATS results that they got. But how are they clever? And that that use of that switching of that sentence to really be about exactly what you've just said. What's your value? What's that that's unique about you? Yes. Um, one. I remember one year six uh, leavers talk I did a couple of years ago. Uh, and I and I and I do like this image and I do come back to it. 
um, which is that I think that when you leave primary school, uh, it's like you've had the first firing in the kiln, so you can hold yeah. your form. Yeah. You're not done because there's two, mm -hmm. if you know your stuff with bisque and things like that uh, in pottery. But um, I think primary school is you, is you know a little bit about yourself. You know what you like doing. You know a little bit about how your brain works, how your body works, what it can do, what it finds difficult and what's special about you. Um, and I say that to the year sixes. You know, I say just make sure you remember if you like French and you go to secondary school and all the people around you says, oh, French is really boring. <laughs> just remember that you do actually like French. You might change your mind and, and things might change. But, you you know, you should be able to hold your form a little bit by the time I think you get to yeah. 11 in terms of child yeah, development. Like that. Yeah, yeah, really like that. And it's definitely a conversation I have with my own children quite often about um, what do they enjoy rather than what is the group What's the group think? What's the group norm? So, yeah, lovely. Um, it wouldn't be right if we didn't go into a little bit about organic fruit farming. So, as I said at the start, you say that a lot of your ideology and your approaches come from that, from um, your experience of living on a fruit farm. So can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, there's just so many. It's kind of such a rich world of, of metaphor and, and lessons. Nature teaches us everything. But mm -hmm. um, to, I suppose to take a few examples that that have really informed how I do things. Um, one, one of the permaculture principles is slow and and small solutions. Um, and, you know, don't break everything and start again. Um, you know, I had to I've had to step into some some tricky situations with schools that, you know, that have had a bit of a roller coaster. And, you know, you can you can take different approaches in those circumstances. And I've witnessed people do different things in different circumstances. And and I think that there is great um, there is great wisdom in not chopping all the trees down. So you might arrive and go, well, I don't want poplars over there. <laughs> um, but you know just just hold on a minute because it's worth just checking what the poplars are doing yeah um, and if the poplars are actually uh, creating a shelter with wind because of the orientation of how the the field is then and you'll really regret it once you chop them down because you weren't realizing what they were what value they were bringing yeah. Uh, and so you might, you know, you do some, that's another one is kind of watching and observing. So kind of watch and observe and then slow and small solutions and you gradually tweak and you gradually maneuver um, rather than raising everything to the ground and starting again. Um, there's 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 another one um, which is very straightforward. It's called using, it's using and valuing diversity. Um, so permaculture, uh, you know, it's an organic fruit farm, but it's designed on permaculture principles. Yeah. and you know there's there generally is is a place for for everything and and the well the idea of i suppose a permaculture farm is if you've got lots of different crops if something funny happens with nature or or you know some moth arrives and eats all mm. your plums well you've still got your peaches and your apples yeah. um and and you know there's all sorts in in permaculture about companion planting and one is supporting the other and so it's about creating an environment whereby there, there's a there's a system that that is self-supporting because you're yeah. you're you're making sure that everything is has got a role in there and, and it creates strength across it you know just uh, and i tell you the other thing that farming <laughs> farming mm -hmm. has taught me which is slightly less um bucolic and romantic sounding but uh you know being an engineer and being being a being a designer and a system thinker you know there's, there's so much science and design and practicalities in farming you know like irrigation 
um, and thinking about better systems so that you don't have to keep getting your hose out uh, and, and, you know, walking down the greenhouse and try hosing and spending 20 minutes hosing, actually stop, think of a better system. It might take a bit more time and a bit more investment, but if you get your system set up, well, then you don't have to do the hosing because the timer comes on on the switch, on the tap. Um, yeah. And I think we all need to be, I mean, we are all system designers in schools, everyone in their lives, you know, where do you put the mug? Do you put it in that cupboard on that side of the uh, stove? Or do you put it on the other side? And if you get it right, then you save yourself a little bit of time and that system and that design works better. So it's really kind of shining a light on be a system thinker, be a designer around the systems yeah. in your schools, uh, creates, creates a well, better run schools, which and well-being comes from that. Anything that's organised and systematic, yeah. everyone will always feel better. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you very much. Um, one of the things I heard you talking about um, when you were talking about life on an organic fruit farm that really resonated me with me was the edge effect. Can you give us a really quick overview of what you mean when you talk about the edge effect? Yeah, I've, I've gone a bit maverick on edge effect. So <laughs> in the sense of I, I think I've now taken it a bit beyond what it what it originally you know what you might read about it if you'd google permaculture and edge effect so in in in, in kind of its basic uh, form sense it's if you think about when you have a monoculture uh, a crop or something in one zone where you're growing you know pumpkins and then in the other field you're growing something else like the sweet corn and then in the in 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 betwixt in the, in in the overlap uh, where you've got a hedgerow you actually not only do you end up with a bit of this crop and that crop other crops come in as well or other other wildlife comes in and so the overlap bit often ends up bringing strength back to the to the main crop because it, it's got different habitat and bees and you know that kind of thing um, and so it's it's really valuing those margins because they're often very exciting and bring great value so that's that's kind of what it means in permaculture yeah. uh, and I think I've probably ended up interpreting that and going off 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 piece a bit on it um, because I, I just like the idea of it in, in two ways I think I've heard myself really talking about it and thinking about it one is definitely paying more attention to edges within your organization and by which I mean uh, you know when um, one culture one class overlaps with the other class which happens in a corridor or um, the parents dropping off at the gate and they overlap with the children and that's where the teachers see the parents and we can do that mindlessly uh, you know the teacher uh, can come outside and off you go or we do it really mindfully and go gosh this is this is actually a, a moment in the school day that is maybe even of more value than the maths lesson mm -hmm. uh, how dare I say that <laughs> but um, but you know those interactions uh, when when things overlap you know and when there's a Halloween evening event uh, for a school it's not an add-on thing it's actually genuinely part of the of the diversity and richness of your school culture like it really is and that is part of the school it's not an add-on like it's yeah. it's fundamental and it's where you know parents get to overlap with the teachers in a slightly different way uh, and 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 being and, and valuing valuing those those moments um and then the and the second way that uh, of thinking about um this edge idea or or valuing the marginal uh, that i've that i've heard myself talking about uh more and more 
is thinking about um, us paying more attention to people who think differently and don't fit the middle of the bell curve, if you like, um, and and that they are probably telling us more important things than we realise. And and I can and I've been using the the idea that there there are canaries. Uh, if you know about um, miners, used to take canaries down into the mines, and if the canaries sadly uh, met their demise, then it was an indicator that that you know things weren't right. Um, and I think that people who think differently uh, to the, the the main the main crop, um, uh, they will, and and that they're finding life hard. It's not that um, they need to conform. It's that they're probably telling us that we haven't really got it right. Um, and so, you know, a lovely child who's who's got a, you know, ADHD profile um, and is finding school really tough. Well, then we haven't really got school right, have we? And that's what they're telling us. And we need yeah. to change our systems and listen to them more. It's probably that 27 of the children in the class are able to conform and yeah. sit in rows and do their maths. But that doesn't mean it's okay. It's just yeah. that they're able to. Whereas the three that can't, you know, we look at them and go, oh, it's such a shame that they can't. They might actually be telling us that maybe we, we haven't really got our education system right. So it's paying attention to the messages uh, of people who think and think and see things differently because uh, they might actually have the answers. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. I think there is so much rich learning to come from the concept of the edge effect. I mean, to take it to well schools, one of the things that really resonated with me when I listened to you talk about it previously and just listened to you again was um, that often we think about the learning of a child, the academic learning, the, the time we spend in the classroom and well school really champions that informal education. And for me, that's that the edge effect. What's how do we care as much about the connecting pieces, the the time in the playground, as you said, the time arriving at school, the informal learning about how to communicate with friends and peers. It's all about creating um, the holistic view that really nourishes and pays as much attention to those spaces because they're actually the places that can build that young person up. If if I'm really struggling in the playground with the young with my friends and friendships and I haven't developed the life skills to allow me to really uh, excel, and I'm not in an environment, how am I then going to return to the classroom in my academics and really be present and in, enthused and ready to learn in that space? So the whole school environment, all elements of learning are as much an important part of our education and are as part of the well school, and well school cares as much about that informality and those other bits that the, the kind of the blend that if we, like when you're you're talking about, really taking notice of those bits and and understanding their value rather than just thinking that they're the the, the transition points between what we're really here to do so yeah I took definitely took a lot from that yeah they're complex schools schools are complex communities and uh, and all points uh, within them are are of value and and a part of the whole school experience aren't they um, and we have a we we I think we're coming out of it now which is good but I think um, the education system has possibly um, and I don't like to generalize because there are wonderful people doing things all the time and yeah. have been doing over the years and I know that but um, that kind of atomistic focusing on the maths test stuff um, uh, and 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 valuing that over and above other things and they are important but uh, everything else is too everything and, and yeah everything is important yeah great um so moving on to one of our other pillars which is about well prepared and i'd be interested to talk from some of your own life perspective as well and well prepared is all about 
how are we ensuring young people are physically and mentally prepared for the world? So we can't slow the world down or make it any easier for young people. They will all face challenges. How is it that we can ensure that they are equipped with the toolkits that they need to, to face those things, two things head on? You do possibly engage in two of the most, what I'm aware of, of um, high tempo um, things to do. So farming and education, you know, they're not simplistic or, or easy professions um, to be involved in. What do you believe in ensuring, well, young people are prepared? What lessons should they take from kind of your ideology and from nature and all the things that you're passionate about, about being physically and mentally prepared for life? I just love that you've just said about education and farming. That's the answer, really. Yeah. <laughs> that, um, I think there's, there's mind and there's body. And I think that uh, spiritual uh, wellness, which I think is really core, uh, I personally believe that um, to have a spiritual dimension will make enables you to be okay mm -hmm. um, and is fundamental. Uh, it comes from the mind and the body. Um, and so I think that children need to be physical uh, and also be mental yeah. <laughs> uh, as in do mental things in their heads thinking. yeah um and uh and so it's it's it, if you can feel yourself in your body and do some and do something and and to be really honest gardening does that uh you know if you're outdoors you're not yeah. you, there's some thinking going on but you're also in your body at the same time uh, i know that there's research that says that that kind of experiences experience makes you feel much better and when you're um te when the teenage body develops um and often disproportionately um and that's often when things go wrong you know uh, eating disorders um body dysmorphia People don't tell teenage girls, and this is a bit of a thing that I talk about because I wish someone had told me, uh, people don't tell teenage girls that be the female body puts down fat. It just is what it does. It puts yeah. down fat in bumps and lumps on your body. <laughs> and, and suddenly you feel very weird and a bit disgusting, maybe, even though it's not disgusting, just for the record. It's just <laughs> what the body does, and that's the female body. Um, and But if you're out of your body and you're stopping using your body and you're just in your head, and then you, your mind is playing tricks on you with your body, then I think mental health issues then develop. And I, and I think retaining some physical stuff in your body when you're at that really critical age um, means that you will then feel better about yourself. You kind of feel and know who you are in the world. Um, will, is it, is it, you'll have a better chance against the ongoing bombardment of Instagram and TikTok and all that kind of stuff um, of kind of being, in, your, being in, in yourself and knowing a bit about who you are and that you're okay. Uh, I'm not sure if I've completely answered your question, but I, basically mind and body is the answer yeah. to lots of things. So I'll, yeah. I'll give no, amazing. And I think as well that um, the concept of the gardening, the, out, the time outdoors. I mean, I was just listening to the news this morning and there was a charity on there talking about the impact of young people of just one night camping outdoors um, in that environment and the long term well-being effect for young people. And it was amazing that, you know, the research was showing just one night could have a lifelong effect for young people in the charity were campaigning for boots and waterproof coats so young people could be outside and and as a charity at Usport Trust we're you know very passionate about play and the young people's use of the outdoor environment so definitely becomes a fundamental part of being well prepared that yeah. just being time to be outdoors be active and being really yeah. important for the preparation I of young people. 
Yeah, I'd love someone to do research. They might already have done it on the impact of not having a ceiling over your head. I'm yeah. sure there's something in that. My dad, uh, my dad has got a really tragically early um, Alzheimer's journey going on, um, and he's it's really hard for him now. But but a little while ago, when he was still kind of able to go for walks and, and experience the world around him a little bit more with a bit more awareness, I know uh, that he when I took him outside. It's just something about being not in an enclosed space. I'm sure there's something yeah. in that, in that there yeah. isn't a ceiling in an enclosed space. It's like the the big heaven above you. I, I, yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know. No, it, it definitely exactly. works for me, that ability yeah. to just get outside and get that fresh yeah. air and clear your head. And um, that's so important in that time. And in schools, making sure that that time, for young people, even more important. I remember being in absolute coiled spring as a young person myself, the ability to just break free for a, a moment in time and the preciousness of, breaks and lunch times in schools for young people to get that outdoors and mm. moving around really important mm. well we're starting to come towards the end now so just got a few key other questions i just wanted to talk to you about um the, one of the final pillars for us is well-led which is all about staff well-being and to be honest with you we didn't ever set out with well schools being about teacher well-being it was never on the agenda when we started the conversation but it became clear pretty quickly that actually unless we really tackle teacher well-being how could we ever expect teachers to create the culture we were talking about in schools if they themselves were not well and they weren't prioritizing their own well-being and um that we're not talking about tokenistic well-being as in we'll throwing a yoga session and it will all be okay but really getting to the heart of what are the things that are causing well-being pressures on your staff and addressing those things and then yoga and things add value but they're they're not necessarily the solution tell me a little bit about how you approach well-being you're obviously now responsible for a larger community of, of teachers what is your approach to ensuring the staff in your care are well led I think that uh one of the most powerful things uh is to come at leading a team of humans is to come at it with genuine and authentic love <laughs> um and i think that that will be like communicated that. um and if you if you value diversity uh and you genuinely you know you challenge yourself when somebody is doesn't quite fit in with what you want them to be like or say in a meeting you know you stop yourself and go well hold on a minute they're having an effect on you and actually that's probably a really good thing it might be clarifying what you do really what, what you really want Rebecca and that's helpful so thank you to them um and and I think that it commun it's communicated so uh, I can't make you I can't make people come at their jobs from a, from a position of genuine and authentic love for all the humans mm -hmm. that they work with um you have to find that I'm afraid for yourself but uh I think that 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 is really important and it will be it will come through if you do and and goodness I'm not perfect so <laughs> I don't mm -hmm. sparkle it all the time but I do think I have it there I do I do have it there and, you know Quakers say you know there's a light in everyone uh, everyone has a light and and I think if you, yeah. you practice that and reflect on that then then that that will help um I think in terms of uh, practically, I think one of the things that people get wrong is um, not thinking systematically. Yeah. One of the greatest stresses on, on people in jobs, and I think particularly in schools, is too much stuff to do and not kind of generally in the right order. And sometimes you shouldn't even really be doing it because it's just kind of, oh, quick, let's do this. And nobody's yeah. stopping and going are you sure we need to do this or if we'd only done that first well then only one person would have had to have done it yeah and so I would I would ask people to be 
to think systematically and think about the order of things. You know, people do degrees in project management and I always just say, well, isn't it just doing things in the right order? <laughs> uh, and so, you know, don't slam into a meeting and go, oh, and bring your stress into the room and have loads of things that need doing. Uh, stop and think, right, well, in three months time, I need to be at that point. So, well, what can we do now? What can we do next? And then blah, blah, blah. So it, it's timely ordered systematic thinking. And if people don't get landed with extra tasks at the drop of a hat all the time, everyone will start feeling much better and their, their capacity to think and function will improve. And again, I definitely don't get it right all the time. Yeah. But we all know that we should send out agendas for meetings before the meeting. Yeah. And we don't do it enough. So can we all please do that a bit more? And, um, you know, and also have we actually checked that we really need the meeting? Because often the people organising the meeting have time for meetings, whereas the other people coming to the meetings have far less time to come to the meeting. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, think about the meeting and, and check that you actually have to have it. So in terms of being really well led, I would say, you know, from a really big perspective, please check that you love everyone because then everything will go better. And and but then also be really organized and yeah. everyone will calm down and you'll probably love them even more because they'll be even better at their jobs. So, yeah, and I, I really love that. And I really love the blend because I think often in terms of leadership, we, we go one way or the other. But the blend of genuine, authentic love with organized and systems to, to me together make that perfect blend rather than coming at it as we're very organized as a clear system. But actually, we forget about the humans and the people involved in it. So I think that's a very powerful combination of those two things. So, again, thank you for sharing. My final question for you, then. Um, we have a lot of educators, teachers, head teachers coming to the World School Movement. And one of the things that they often say is that they just feel completely overwhelmed. They know they need to do things differently. They know they want to take a step forward, but actually the, the amount of stuff out there, the amount of things to be tackled are just so overwhelming that where do they start so what would be your advice if there are any listeners out there that are thinking we want to start on our world school journey we want to, to make some changes what would be your top tips for them starting out on that journey uh, so uh, what beautiful circularity because it takes me back to what I started with which was which is to choose a couple of things you could choose lots of things and and they will all be brilliant um, and but but don't do all of them um and so so choose a couple of things and time them you know over a two-year period um we i discussed with head teachers yesterday so so we were i'm grappling with this very idea at the moment because everyone is busy and there's too much to do and so um so i've gone okay well well what can we do and in what order and choose some things and then let them drive it over a over a timely period so i've chosen or i've opened i've suggested five headings uh to my three head teachers and they're going to get back to me on and whether they think they're the good ones or whether they've got some other ones yeah. um and then we're going to use one as a guiding star for each half term of the academic year that then follows so one of them um might be uh does everyone have a have a place at the table? Can, can everyone have a sense of um, their their place in this organisation? Do, do I belong here and can I? Because we all know that, that, that well-being at work comes from that. Oh, I'm definitely adding value. Do we have a sense? Do you have a sense that you're bringing something unique from yourself to the organisation? So that could be, and I haven't obviously worded that very, very well, <laughs> that but that would be like our guiding star for half a term. Yeah. 
and then that will inform some of the actions. So it might inform an agenda item which that head teacher takes to a meeting. It might inform um, a talk that somebody gives. It might inform a blog post. So I might ask some people within the schools, does anyone want to tell a story um, about how they have felt like they've really uh, been able to contribute? And we kind of build on that. Another one could be outdoor spaces. Uh, could be another heading and so for half a term that's our guiding start and we go right we're going to pay more attention to our outdoor spaces do you know what that bench is grotty let's change the bench and so suddenly we can calm down and and go right well that's what we're doing for that half term and the thing we start with will carry on won't it it will carry on being swept along um, uh, and it will have changed and, and we will have moved forward and then we add in another layer and maybe half a term is too quick as well I don't know yeah. so, so I would I would choose a few things and allow yourself time to uh, to build things because you can't do everything. Yeah. Although there's one thing I would say is don't make a meal of it. So <laughs> a lot of people spend loads of time sitting around tables with sugar paper and pens and going, oh, let's have 17 million ideas. Yeah. Are you sure? Are you sure that's the right way to do it? Because, you know, I, 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 sometimes it is, but sometimes it might be a matter of, of, of changing a bench and making sure that, uh, you know, there's a flower bed and just keep yeah. it simple. Uh, but, but yeah, uh, thinking right. about it from a, from a step by step process and just keep not trying to do everything yeah. uh, will help. Yeah, I think that's very sound advice that definitely it becomes overwhelming when you think it's a quick fix. It's we're going to change the world. We're going to do everything. So I think lovely advice and something we've been trying to offer support with, with creating a steps to success, which is not the answer for every school, but gives some just tangible things to start thinking about. And it will look and feel different for every single school, but some stimulus and points. So um, you can start somewhere, just start somewhere where where it feels right for you and and follow your nose and use your instincts. Yeah, start somewhere and do something simple. Yeah. You know, like benches, you know, like like a few nice benches. Or have you looked at your staff room environment? Is it grotty? Because yeah. it shouldn't be grotty, so so start with that, and then you, then you've got a tangible outcome, and people will then start kind of really seeing the impact and get on board with the idea of well, what's next? Then what are we doing next? Yeah, great. Well, hopefully we'll see lots of nice benches arriving in well schools across the country. Outside, outside. <laughs> yeah, um, Rebecca, thank you so much for your time um, and for joining us today. I think there's some amazing insights that you've shared with us that hopefully will just help some other schools along their journey. So from all of us at Well Schools, thank you very much. Thank you very much for having me. Okay, that was an incredible conversation with Rebecca and I think there was so much to unpack there. But two of the things that really jumped out at me were the edge effect and approaching leadership with genuine and authentic love. And I think the edge effect for me is something that really resonates quite strongly because I think in, in education sometimes we can get we can we can get really focused on the day-to-day and the minutiae and we can look at the middle of the school and if as long as that's working then we can sometimes feel that everything else is working but it's always been an interest of mine of how you look at the edges and how you look at the outliers as Rebecca said and how you how you determine how successful the culture of your school is based on everything around it and I know in terms of the the correlation between education and farming, which is something I've never really thought of before. I thought it was a fantastic connection to show that you can do X, Y, and Z, but if A, B, and C isn't isn't flourishing and isn't in place, then you'll never really 
you'll never really see the impact of X, Y, and Z. Yeah, I mean, for me, it was just one of those light bulb moments when I was doing research into Rebecca and um, listening and reading the things that she was passionate about. It just provided that moment of clarity where you take something you believe and you look at it through a different lens, through a different context, and it kind of, I suppose, really solidifies your approach. It feels like it gives you um, some form of credibility to what what you've been believing. So for me, the edge effect perfectly summed up exactly why we talk in well schools about it. it's about the whole school. It's it, the well-being is definitely not a moment. It's in every classroom. It's in every corridor, and it's in every staff room. It's in the playground. So it's in the, the places that are around the edge of the learning. Um, really getting to the heart of creating um, a space where we think about all the elements. Which that's not there to to make that sound overwhelming, but it's just there to think about how do we broaden our horizon and think of different ways to achieve our outcomes so if the outcome of education is to help young people um, to learn then we've got to look at the complete environment the holistic child all the places within that time in school and home which we can't get away from that touch nurture nourish that young person and a get them in the best possible place to learn so and much like Rebecca um, brings to life the field if we're thinking about the crops we could fascinate just on the the crop the crop the crop in the field if we think and step back and think about what are all the things that that crop needs to really flourish and we think about the things that are naturally created in the environment and how we can invest outside around the edge of that field um, in things like the hedgerow where we can encourage wildlife because we know that wildlife is all part of the ecosystem that creates a greater crop it's just great to sometimes find those things, isn't it? Those little gems that encourage you to think, but also perhaps um, push your thinking a little bit and make you consider a little bit wider than what you already thought. So I think looking at other industries and other things people do was a great perspective. And, you know, how often do you get that role within an educator, within a senior leader, someone that's had such an incredible back history of um, experiences. And I, I think that's one thing we'll learn across those podcasts. It's, those people that bring different and rich perspectives outside of the world of education, what can we learn that will really help us move forward, not just in our well school journey, but within our education journey too. Absolutely. And I think that, I mean, we've, we've just come off just off the back of World Kindness Day and this week's anti-bullying week within schools. And a lot of schools will be looking at ways to make sure that every young person, every staff member feels part of the community, part of the, part of the culture. And it's, and it's, it's a shared culture and it's it's their school, it's not one person's school. And I think that's another thing that resonated me with me through Rebecca when she talked about approaching leadership with, with genuine and authentic love. And I think personally that that's something that means a lot to me because I know that I like to I like to feel valued and I like to feel that um I'm cared about, but also she mentioned about it being within organized systems and not just we care about everyone. We love everyone. This school is this this school is is a, is, a, is a great environment. But it's also making sure that systems are in place that people feel valued and people feel that they have a voice. And again, I find that really interesting, and the, the correlation with the edge effect. But also making sure that there is a genuine, authentic love there, a genuine, authentic care and, and, and passion for everyone within the school. Yeah, I I think it's really easy to look at the term genuine, authentic love and feel that that's 
like fluffy, woolly. We all walk around just loving each other and the whole world will be okay. It's perhaps an idealistic viewpoint. I think the point here is teaming that genuine, authentic love with other elements that will really help us to move forward. So, and when you talked about how you respond, you know, think of those leaders in your life or those co colleagues in your life that have got the best out of you. Are those people that play the balance between making you feel valued and loved and cared about and using that context to give you clear direction, critique, um, valuable feedback. Um, and the balance between those things mean that people feel that value and love but are also able to achieve. So um, I talked to you a lot about a book that I'm incredibly passionate about, which is Radical Candor by Kim Scott, where they talk about challenge directly and care personally. It's that balance between the two. It's, it's not mean, it's clear is what they use a lot. So being very clear with people, it's not rude, it's clear. But in order to be really clear and frank with you, you have to know that from me, the feedback I'm giving you comes from a place where I want you personally to be better, not just the work. I don't, I do want the work to be better, but I'm not just coming at it from, I want that piece of work. I want this podcast to be better. Like when you chuck critique at me, I know it's not you saying, I just want the podcast to be better. I don't care about you. It's coming from a place of, I know I want, we want to achieve something. And I want to get the best out of you because I believe in you and I love you. Um, so her approach to that genuine authentic love for me really resonated as something I really believe in as well. So, um, yeah, what, and what a wonderful term. And I think that this is, uh, again, this is going to set us up going forward into the into this series of podcasts because the whole point of these podcasts is to bring different ways of working and different ideas and different innovations. And as you just said then, in terms of being able to show that genuine authentic love and be clear on things and clear communication, it can be so powerful in just creating a culture of a well school. Again, it's not a hundred different things or almost forced well-being. It's it's a case of you're part of this community, it's your community. I care about you. I care about you as a person and as a professional. I'm gonna do all I can to get it to get the best out of you. Yeah, it's exactly why we got into this. And you and I have been working on, on well schools from the very start, from the very first moments we started to think about it. And it comes from a genuine, authentic place of luck. Like I have genuine care and concern for educating young people. It comes from a place, I want the system to be better. I want us to, to get well-being and academic achievement of young people right. And, you know, it's, it's such a, in well schools, we want to find a place, a positive place where people feel that they can find others that empathize, sympathize, understand, and together we can create an environment where we all support each other to move forward so it doesn't feel so catastrophic or it doesn't feel so overwhelming or it doesn't feel like such a leap of faith it feels like something that makes logical sense with a really great safety net um so if we can create that environment within well schools for people then we've definitely achieved something amazing yes and i know that we'll be back next week with another episode of, of the well schools podcast with more ideas more intense and uh, another fantastic special guest so thanks Kate for yeah. uh, Wait, we've got some such amazing guests I'm so excited about the lineup um it's going to be fantastic and I'm really genuinely excited about um letting other people hear it
thanks for listening and we hope you found this episode useful. We'd like to thank our partner, Booper Foundation, who have been with us since day one and have some really powerful tools and practical ways to support and improve culture of well-being in your school. You can find out more at www.booperfoundation.org or at Booper Foundation over on Twitter. If you'd like to find out more about our special guest this week, you can head over to www.cmat.org or you can follow Rebecca on Twitter at RebeccaLeak underscore. Finally, if you would like to register completely free as a well school and join the movement for change, then head to www.well-school.org and sign today. You can also find us at well underscore schools over on Twitter.